The following message, entitled, The Risen Lord, Part 33 of the series, I Am, The Book of John, was given by Mark Altrogi on the 29th of July, 2012, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. For those of you that uh, I have uh, not met yet, welcome. My name's Mark, one of the pastors here at Sovereign Grace Church. I'm sorry to have to expose you to myself twice this morning like this, uh, leading worship and preaching. We had a little, we, we did a switch this week and I didn't look at the schedule and um, I didn't realize I was scheduled to lead worship. So we did a, a preaching switch and uh, so, sorry about that, here I am. Um, let's turn to John chapter 20. This morning's message is called, I Am. That's the name of our series, because Jesus refers to Himself by the name of God throughout the book of John that way. The Risen Lord. Now imagine having all your hopes and dreams shattered in a single day. Maybe some of you have had life-shattering experiences I know, I, know some, I know a number of you have. But imagine having all your hopes and dreams shattered in a single day. Imagine what it was like for the disciples and followers of Jesus who had left everything to follow Him. They had staked their lives on Jesus. Some had quit their jobs they had followed Him for three years. They would put all their hope in His words and promises. And suddenly, in 24 hours' time, Jesus is arrested. He's tortured. He's nailed to a Roman cross. And He's dead in a tomb. Along with all their hopes. It must have seemed surreal must have seemed surreal to Mary Magdalene as, as she made her way to the tomb in the dark on Easter morning, carrying spices to anoint Jesus' body for a proper funeral. What was she thinking? What was she like emotionally? We're going to read this morning of the empty tomb that she discovered and the resurrected Jesus. And I, as I studied this, I, I, I tried to put myself in place of Mary and the disciples and just wonder, what was it like for them? What was it like to see the resurrected Jesus? First of all, we're going to see the empty tomb. So we're going to go with Mary Magdalene. Verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. John focuses on Mary Magdalene, although Matthew mentions the other Mary and Mark mentions Mary, the mother of James and Salome. So, Mary Magdalene first comes with two others, it appears, or one other. And in verse 2, when she's reporting 
when Mary Magdalene is, 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 is talking, rather, she says, we do not know where they have laid him, speaking in the plural. So she's speaking as if more than one is there, but John wants to focus on Mary Magdalene. Now the burial on Friday had been a hasty burial. They had to get Jesus down from the cross quick, and they buried him in a hasty way, and Mary and her friends are coming with more spices because to the Jewish people it was very important that they bury and anoint people and bury them in a seemly and a respectable manner. So they had originally followed Nicodemus who, who owned the tomb, who had requested the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus probably because of the lateness of the day and the nearness of the Sabbath, had not had time to anoint Jesus' body with all the spices He had brought. So these ladies perhaps had come back to finish what had begun. I just want to check on something here. It was Joseph of Arimathea who asked Pilate if he could take away the body of Jesus. This is in, in John chapter 19. He came and took away his body. And Nicodemus, who had earlier came, come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus. Okay, I just wanted to be sure on that. So Mary Magdalene had followed Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, and they had not had time to anoint the body the way they wanted to. So she's there early in the morning. Now Jesus had cast out seven demons from Mary Magdalene. She was one of a number of women who had stood there by the cross and watched Jesus die. And John says that Mary came while it was still dark. Now this could have been dangerous for them. Women out alone in the dark, in a desolate area, Jerusalem was full of people who had come for the Passover. People could have been camping out, including people of questionable character. What was it like for her? Probably a little nerve-wracking. She is weeping. Were the stars out? I don't know. But it was dark. Were there crickets chirping? I don't know. What was it like for them? Somehow they can, they can relocate the tomb. They knew where the tomb was. And John says the first thing Mary sees is that the stone has been rolled away. And in Mark chapter 16 it says, they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So when they get to the tomb, they're shocked to see that this, the stone has been rolled away. And so verse 2 says, so, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid Him. So as soon as Mary sees the stone is rolled away, she runs to tell Peter and John. She doesn't even look inside. She just sees that the stone is gone and she just assumes that they have taken someone has taken Him somewhere. She says they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. She has concluded that someone has stolen the body and the possibility that Jesus has risen from the dead doesn't even enter her radar screen. She runs to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, 
And so apparently, even though Peter had denied Jesus, he is still looked at as the leader of the disciples. Actually, all of the disciples had abandoned Jesus when he was arrested. But John, John and Peter are together somehow. And so Mary gets them and says they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. She doesn't know who stole the body. Maybe the Jewish leaders. Maybe the Romans. So, so immediately, verse 3 says, so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. So it, it seems like Peter jumped up immediately and just starts running toward the tomb. And John maybe hesitates for a second, but then he gets up and he decides to go as well. In verse 4, it's, it, it's, this is just a, an interesting touch of detail and reality that John throws in. He says, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. It's just an interesting fact he throws in that adds to the reality of the story. It doesn't say why. Maybe John was, because John was younger than Peter, maybe he had more strength, he could get there faster, but he gets there first. And verse 5 says, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So John gets to the tomb, and he stoops and looks down and looks in. And inside this tomb that would have been hollowed out of rock, there would have been a shelf in which they laid the body. And he looks in and he sees this shelf. And he sees the linen cloths lying there, but he doesn't go in. He waits for Peter, out of, probably out of deference to Peter as the leader of the disciples. And verse 6 says, Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself. Now some people think that Jesus rose somehow through the cloths. His body just sort of came through the cloths and the cloths just collapsed right where they were. I don't think that's what this is saying and everybody I read and studied didn't say that. They, they said the face cloth is folded up lying in a place by itself. And what John is describing is an orderly scene. If grave robbers stole the body, they would not have left the grave clothes. And they certainly would, have, would not have taken off the grave clothes neatly and folded them up. They would have just grabbed the body and gotten out of there. If they were going to take the cloths off, they would have just taken them off and thrown them in a heap and taken off. But these clothes are folded up. And, and I just... It, the, the Gospels don't tell us what Jesus did. But I can just almost imagine the scene. Jesus' dead body is lying there in the shelf in the tomb. And suddenly... He is infused with life. His own life. Resurrection life. He comes to life and He sits up and slowly unwraps His head, folds up the grave cloths, puts them there, takes off the other clothes, pulls them up, lays them there. The stone goes flying away. Jesus goes out. I wish I could see it. But it is clearly evidence 
that Jesus' body was not stolen. Verse 8, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, John, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Now the linen cloths are the first witnesses to Jesus' victory over death and the grave. Now this is, this is really important that John included the empty tomb. The empty tomb obviously has no voice. The cloths have no voice. But if Jesus had, had risen from the dead and merely appeared to Mary, if she hadn't seen the open tomb, and Mary goes back and says, I've seen Jesus, people could question that. You know, Mary, Mary, it was dark. Mary, you're in grief, you're grieving, you're weeping. I think you probably just, you know, you wanted to see Jesus. But, but the empty tomb that both Peter and John see is a powerful witness to the resurrection. It's powerful facts. The Bible says, let everything be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And then it says, and, and he saw and believed. John saw and believed. And it doesn't, exactly, it doesn't explain exactly what he believed, but this verb, he believed, is talking about the, the sense of the verb is some kind of a breakthrough is happening for John. Something is happening in John. He is beginning to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Just as dawn is breaking over Jerusalem, faith is dawning in John. He's beginning to believe Jesus is alive. And it says, verse 9 says, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that He must rise from the dead. Now there are several passages in the Old Testament that predict that the Messiah would rise from the dead. But what this is saying is that only later, only later would the disciples come to realize those Scriptures were talking about Jesus rising from the dead. Only later would they get this, the confirmation of Scripture. And so, what, what they're saying is that they would believe in the resurrection first because they witnessed it with their own eyes. And later they came to see, yes, the Old Testament confirmed and foretold this. So it's not like they had all these Scriptures about the resurrection that they were thinking of so that they're expecting the resurrection. No, they were not expecting the resurrection. But they were witnesses and they saw it with their own eyes. And I, I love this. I love how Jesus works in our lives. Because John came to increase his faith gradually. And Jesus does that in our lives. He increases our faith little by little. When I first came to Jesus, when He first apprehended my life, when Jesus first saved me, I didn't, I didn't have very strong faith. I said a prayer. I asked Jesus to come into my life. And I remember walking outside that night, looking up at a full moon, and I had prayed for Jesus to come into my heart. I didn't know what I had done. I really believed something had happened, but I, I didn't feel any goosebumps. There weren't any fireworks. But I, I had prayed and I had asked Jesus to come into my life. Well, little did I know that over the years, He would increase my faith. I would see more and more of His power. I would come to believe in Him more and more. And I want to encourage you this morning, 
Maybe you feel like it's just dawning on you who Jesus is. Maybe you feel like you're kind of new at all this. Maybe you just kind of feel like you're learning. Well, don't feel bad about that. Don't feel like, man, so many people here, they seem so strong in their faith. Jesus will increase your faith. Jesus will increase your faith. The disciples once said to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. That's a good prayer. That's what you can pray. If you're struggling, if you're having a hard time believing Jesus, if you're, if you're, if you're kind of new to this, or even if you've been a, a Christian for a long time and you're just struggling, you can say, Lord, increase my faith. Another man Jesus encountered, his, his child was, was suffering and he asked Jesus to heal his child. And Jesus said, if, if you believe, and he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus didn't say, well... I'll come back when you get rid of all that unbelief. No, Jesus helped him. He, he responded to that. He says, I'll take a grain of mustard seed. Faith, I'll take faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. And so, we see here how the faith is dawning in John's life. These are the first, the first silent witnesses to the resurrection. The empty tomb. The grave clothes. The stone rolled away. And these are so important because the disciples and Mary saw these things. In verse 10, it says, then the disciples went back to their homes. Faith is dawning. Hope is beginning to rise in their hearts. At least John's heart doesn't talk about Peter. But they don't yet understand that Jesus must rise from the dead. So they don't go out and proclaim that He's risen, but they go back to their homes. And and think about this. John... Remember at the cross, Jesus was hanging on the cross and He saw His mother and He said, he said to John, here's your mother. And He said to Mary, here's your son. Mary would have been back at John's home. Can you imagine John going back and saying, Mary, Mary, your son, he's not in the tomb. The, gla- the grave clothes were folded up. I don't think he was stolen. Something is happening. Can you imagine the hope beginning to rise in Mary's heart? Well, now Jesus will appear to people. He appears to several. There's several episodes. And the first person He appears to is Mary Magdalene. She is the first person to see Jesus after He's risen from the dead. I I love that. This is so touching because Mary was not a person of importance. Jesus didn't appear first to the most important people. Mary was not one of the twelve apostles. She had no title. She had no rank. She was a sinner who had been delivered of seven demons. And she was humble. Jesus loves to reveal Himself to nobodies. He loves to reveal Himself to sinners. If you feel like I am nothing in the world's eyes. I'm a sinner. I'm worthless. Well, you're a good candidate for Jesus to reveal Himself to. He doesn't reveal Himself to the proud. He reveals Himself to the humble. He reveals Himself to those who know they can't get to God on their own. And they have nothing to offer God. 
Mary, verse 11 says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. It, it says she was weeping twice. Now Mary had run to get the disciples and she must have followed them back as Peter and John ran. And she's just standing outside the tomb. And, and when they go home, she doesn't go home. She just stands there weeping. I, I just pictured this. She's just overwhelmed by her grief. She's, she's, maybe she's pacing around. Where, am I, where is she going to go? Her life is devastated. Her hopes are gone. She's, she, she's just weeping. Looks around. Sobbing. And she stoops down and looks into the tomb. And verse 12 says, And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at His head and one at the feet. One at the head and one at the feet. Two angels. And one is where the head was, one is where the feet would have been. And that's to emphasize the space is empty. And verse 13 says, They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? They don't, they don't try to console her. We feel so bad for you. They say, why are you weeping? And they're asking that question because Jesus is alive. She doesn't know it yet. They're, they're saying, there's no reason for you to be weeping. And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid Him. So she, her thinking has not She's not thinking resurrection yet. She has not gotten beyond the grave robber theory. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Why did she turn around? She's looking into the tomb. She might have heard a noise behind her. Maybe she heard Jesus come near. Maybe the angels pointed. Look behind you. But for some reason, she, she turns around for a second and she, she sees someone standing there. It's Jesus, but she doesn't know that it's Jesus. And this shows something of the supernatural character of the risen Christ. There seems to have been something different about Him so that people didn't always recognize Him. For example, on... On the day He rose, He appeared to two disciples who were walking on the road to Emmaus. And He talked with them and they didn't recognize Him at first. In John 21.4, Jesus appears on the shore and the disciples don't recognize Him at first. There's something about His, His new body that until He reveals Himself that people don't recognize Him. He's not a spirit. He's not a ghost. He's, he's not ethereal. But Mary sees him and doesn't recognize him and probably turns back to look in the tomb and Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus asks two great questions. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She's looking for a corpse. Jesus says, she should be looking for a person. Whom are you seeking? 
She thinks he's the gardener. And she's distressed that someone would have carried him away and not Jesus not getting the proper burial. And she says, I, I want to take him. I want to anoint him. I want to give him a proper, seemly burial. An honorable burial. And I love this next verse. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus says one word to her. Her name, Mary. I can just hear the tenderness and the love in his voice. He speaks. He must have had so much affection in his voice. Mary. And as soon as she hears him say her name, as soon as she hears his voice say her name, she recognizes him. And this just fits so well with what Jesus said in John 10. He said, My sheep, my sheep, those who are mine, hear my voice. They recognize my voice. They won't listen to another. They hear my voice. And, and this is so this is so important. This is so great here. Jesus knows you and me by name. Jesus knows you by name. Jesus doesn't just look at His church and see a mass of people. He knows you. He knows your situation. He knows your needs. He knows your struggles. He knows your pain. He knows everything about you because He knows you by name. I believe that for all who come to Jesus, that when we go to heaven, He'll welcome us by name. It's not going to be just a massive crowd. Jesus isn't going to say, Welcome everybody! See, the thing about becoming a Christian and being a Christian is we have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's God's will for you. That's God's will for us. I, I want to encourage you. Take time regularly to read God's Word and pray and, and ask Jesus. Say, Jesus, reveal Yourself to me. Lord, please let me know You more. I want to know You, Jesus. Paul, that's the Apostle Paul's prayer in the book of Philippians. He said, I want to know Him. That's, that's what I press on above all else is to know Jesus. You can know Him personally and He knows you. And, and you can have an intimate relationship with Jesus don't ever forget this. If you're going through a, a trial right now, I, I would encourage you to even just to know Jesus would be speaking your name as He intercedes for you in heaven. He would, you could imagine Him comforting you by name. He loves you. cares about you. I... I used to think God was so big and He had, had so much to do to run the universe. How could He care about me? But He does. If you have not 
turn to Jesus yet. I, I want to encourage you, Jesus wants you to have this kind of relationship with Him. You have to have your sins forgiven to have a relationship with God. And He died on the cross to pay for your sins so that if you would call upon Him, He could wash away your sins and you could enter into an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. She... She clings to Jesus. She grabs on to Him. She's probably weeping. Verse 17, Jesus says, Do not cling to Me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to My brothers and say to them, I am ascending to My Father, to My Father and Your Father, to My God and Your God. And essentially, Jesus, Jesus isn't saying, Don't touch Me. Jesus is just saying that His resurrection and His ascension are all part of the final end of His mission. He was sent from God. He accomplished His mission in His life and His death on the cross and His resurrection. And now He's going to go back to God. And so Jesus is saying, everything is going to be different from now on. There's going to be a different way that I'm relating to My people. I'm not going to be here personally with you bodily. So he says, don't cling to me. I'm, I'm ascending. And go tell my brothers. Go tell the disciples. And what is so great about this, he says, tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And Jesus does two things by this. He's saying, first of all, His relationship with the Father is unique. No one will ever have a relationship with the Father like Jesus. But what is so great about this is He's saying, He's your Father too. He's your God too. You have now entered into this great relationship with the Father through Me. That is what is so incredible about Christianity. That when when we turn to Jesus, when He saves us, He joins us to Himself and we have a relationship with the Father as sons and daughters, as heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. This is incredible. He's your Father too. Can you imagine that? Jesus saying that? I'm ascending to My Father and your Father. Well, Jesus then appears to the disciples. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So they had the doors locked for fear of the Jews. They're not thinking resurrection. And suddenly, Jesus appears in their midst. It doesn't say He walked through the door. It doesn't, doesn't say how He got there. But somehow, He's there. And, he's, and He says, peace be with you. And they, they might have thought He was going to rebuke them. Because the last thing they did was abandon Him. Can you imagine that? Oh, he's risen. He's going to rebuke us for abandoning Him. And He says, peace be with you. And then... He shows them His hands and His side. This proves it was really Him. It wasn't just a spirit. They they weren't looking through Him and seeing the other side of the room. He shows them. It's proof that He rose from the dead. His wounds in His hands and His feet and His side, they're proof that He has conquered death. 
And then it says they were glad. They were glad. The resurrection brings us joy. Jesus' will for your life is that you have joy knowing that He has risen from the dead. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, He hears our prayers. He counsels us. He leads us. He protects us. He's alive. We serve a living God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you pray, Jesus is alive and He hears your prayers? See, the resurrection changes everything. It should make us glad. I am glad I have a living God. I'm glad I'm not just participating in a dead religion. It's just, it is, it's incredible. And then Jesus, as He has done many times, He gives them the mission. In verse 21, Jesus says, Peace be with you. He says it again. As the Father has sent Me, even so, I am sending you. Now Jesus is saying, My mission is done, but I'm sending you in the same way the Father sent Me. And just as the Father was with Me, I will be with you in your mission. I've been thinking about how I, I can easily tend to forget our mission. I've been, I've been praying about this lately. I've been thinking about this lately. That, you know, the mission, if the mission of, of Jesus to reach the world, if the mission to reach more and more people with the good news of the gospel is so important, it's the main thing he talked about on, on, when he appears to the disciples. How important is this? I, so often I think I get caught up in my own life, my own comfort, my own day-to-day, easy, you know, make this as easy as I possibly can. And I forget that there are millions of people out there who don't know Jesus. Sometimes when I walk into a, a large store, just the thought comes to me that these people just don't know Jesus. So I... I, I, I pray, I want, I desire our church to reach out more and more to our community and to, to plant more churches in the future, start more churches, to, to support mission work, to support the planting of churches, uh, to, to give our money to missions, to support things like when Mike Hartle went to Africa and sponsored by Greystone and, and supported by us. And, and uh, I, I want to give to things like that. I want to I see us reach the world in, as much as we can. And Jesus, then He said, when He had said this, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And there's just a whole lot of ways that people look at this. But essentially, because He was tying it with their mission... He was saying, the power that you need is the Holy Spirit. And you will have the Holy Spirit. And, I'm, and He breathed on them. And it, 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 it's foreshadowing Pentecost. They didn't receive the full power, but yet something, something real was happening. He was giving them the Spirit in a way that John just doesn't really explain. But He's clearly tying it with our mission. We need the Holy Spirit to reach the world for Jesus. And so we need to keep praying, Lord, 
Fill us with Your Spirit. Give us Your Spirit. Sunday mornings, pour out Your Spirit on our meeting on Sunday mornings. Holy Spirit, come. Be drawing people. Holy Spirit, give me boldness when I have an opportunity to witness. And then Jesus makes a final appearance to Thomas. And John, John is kind of bringing everything to a culmination with Thomas. It's kind of like everything in the book of John is kind of heading to this, this Thomas's confession. So we, we want to see that this is very near the end of the book. Some scholars believe that, that uh, the last chapter, chapter 21, is an addendum and that it really ended with, with what Thomas said more or less. Um, but at any rate, it is, it is clear that John is like bringing everything to, to Thomas's confession. So he appears to Thomas. Verse 24 says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. It's like Thomas is saying, before I believe that, i got to see this. I need visual and tactile proof. I have to see his wounds and I have to feel them to make sure he's real. See, Thomas is skeptical. And we're, we're really hard on Thomas on this side of the resurrection. We can be really hard on him. But he had seen Jesus tortured and nailed to a cross and every bit of blood drip out of him so that when he was stabbed in the heart, a little bit of blood and water came out. Thomas had every reason to be skeptical. He's not thinking resurrection. You don't just come back from what Jesus went through. 20, verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them again and said, peace be with you. Now, eight days later, the way they reckoned it would have been a week because they counted the first day. So it's the following Sunday, doors are locked, Jesus comes into their midst again and Thomas is there. And verse 27, then he, he immediately, as soon as Jesus says, peace be with you, then he said to Thomas, can you imagine what Thomas felt like? And he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. What could be more proof to Thomas that this is Jesus? He's risen from the dead. Somehow Jesus knew his, what He had said. Knew His very words. And I used to think that was a rebuke on Jesus' part, but I, I really believe that Jesus was showing sympathy to Thomas's doubt. He's coming down to his level. He could have rebuked him strongly. He could have said, Thomas, you idiot. Why wouldn't you believe what these guys told you? But this isn't like Jesus. He brings us to faith. He lifts us up. He, just as John's faith increased, Jesus wants to increase our faith. And so even Thomas, with his skepticism, he says, come on, Thomas. And then he says, do not disbelieve, but believe. He's saying, Thomas, Thomas, become a believer. Don't be an unbeliever. That's what Jesus would be saying to some of you this morning. Come on. Jesus is saying, I've, I've given proof to you. I've risen from the dead. I've, I've got eyewitness testimony. You've seen me work in your life. You've seen me do things in your life. Come on, be a believer. 
Don't be an unbeliever. Don't go on in unbelief. Well, Thomas doesn't, I don't believe Thomas examined Jesus. I don't believe he said, okay, let me see that. No, Thomas, Thomas immediately <laughs> answers him. And this is what John has been driving toward. Thomas answers him, my Lord and my God. Now, various cults that you talk to say that Jesus is not God. You know, this is one of the clearest proofs that Jesus is God. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Now, Jesus, being Jewish, knowing the Ten Commandments that, that say, there is, you shall have no other gods before me. God is one. If He were not God, He would have, would have, he would have said, Thomas, wait, ho, ho, hold on. I'm a prophet. I'm not God. But no, He doesn't say that. This is, this is what John is driving at. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord of all. And He is, Thomas says, You are my Lord. You are my God. You are God. I am recognizing You as God. And not only that, but You're my God. My Lord. This is what John is driving for. This is what he wrote, that we would believe that Jesus is God. And so, he even says that in, in a second. But Jesus said to Thomas, He said, Have you believed because you've seen Me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's saying from now on, from now on, people will believe because of the Word of My twelve that I've chosen and, the, and those who proclaim the Gospel. From now on, they'll believe and they will be blessed. Jesus Jesus wants to bless your life. He wants to bless our lives. But the way that we receive the blessing is to believe. And that doesn't mean we just, we just have mental assent. Oh yeah, I believe Jesus is God. There's lots of people who believe Jesus is God. We need to believe like this. My Lord and my God. My Lord means You are my Master. You Take my life. Rule my life. I trust You with my life. And You are my God. I live for Your glory. I will serve You. That's what it means. And Jesus says, if you believe in that way, you will be blessed. You know, when I first, when I first said a prayer, the, the, the guy who led me in the prayer didn't tell me that I needed to make Jesus my Lord. And so I just said a prayer, but I didn't change my life. And later on, I actually heard that same guy give a message that said, we must make Jesus Lord. He's not just a Savior who just kind of comes and helps us a little bit. He's our Master and Lord. And we commit our whole lives to Him. And when I did that, when I heard that, when I said, Jesus, I want You to be my Lord. That changed everything. I, I was saying, Jesus, for, from now on, and I need Your help to do this. I can't do this on my own. But for the rest of my life, all my days, I only want to obey You no matter what it costs. And I'm not saying that I've always done that perfectly. Nobody does. We all sin. We all fail. But, but Jesus wants us to have that intent. And if that's your intent today, I would encourage you to say that to Jesus today, even as we sing our 
final song. And so verse 30 and 31, John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, God the Son, and that by believing, by believing you may have life in His name. See, the signs, says Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples. And I've written these down selectively. I haven't written down every single sign He did. I've written these down so that you may believe. So we have enough here to believe. And receive Jesus as Christ, the Son of God. And believing, He says that by believing, you may have life. See, I used to think God wanted to make my life miserable. I thought religion was miserable. I thought Christianity was miserable. But Jesus wants to give us life. He said life, abundant life, life to the fullest. So my appeal to you is pray, Jesus, give me life. If you've been a Christian for 25 years, 30 years, keep asking, Jesus, give me more life. Give me more knowledge of you. Let me know you more. Let me have this intimate relationship with you. Let me hear you call on my name. Not literally, but Jesus, I want joy. I want life. I I didn't become a Christian to be a miserable person. I became a Christian because I believe Jesus offered life. And I want to tell you something. After over 30 years of following Him, He will not let you down. He does not let us down. He gives us life. These are written so that you may believe. These are written so that you may believe. Faith comes as we read and as we hear the written testimony of the Gospel. Maybe your faith is dawning and like John. Maybe it's just kind of beginning to grow. Well, if you want it to grow more, these are written so that you may believe. Read your Bible on a regular basis. The more you read your Bible, the more you'll believe. The more your faith will grow. Oh, this, this, I cannot encourage you too much. My joy as a pastor would be to know that everyone in this church regularly read the Bible. You will grow in your faith. Start off, if, you, if you're not reading your Bible, if you're new to all this, start off by reading the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John said, I specifically wrote this so that you could believe. So, so start with John. That's what I did. Someone said, start with the book of John. And then read the rest of the New Testament. And then you can start reading the Old Testament. But read your, read your Bibles. Underline it. Write notes in your Bible. Because Jesus wants us to believe that He is risen from the dead and that we now can come to God the Father through Him and have eternal life and joy. So let's stand. Let's have the band come up. And as we're singing this last song, um, I believe the Lord is going to encourage you. And the first is the group that, as Mark was, was just talking about Mary, and he said how much affection Jesus had for her. Just by saying her name, she felt the love of Jesus Christ. And I had just a sense that the Lord 
wanted you to experience that. There's some in this room that you are Christians, but you don't feel God's affection for you. And I think that's true for everybody. But I felt particularly like there were some older men in the room that it's, you just haven't felt the Lord's affection for a very long time. And Jesus will want you to know he, he knows you by name and he loves you dearly. Um, and I also thought as, as Mark was saying, teaching about the disciples, he said, as they were locked up in the room, the last time they had seen him, they denied him. They, they scattered. They ran. And they may have been afraid. And I was thinking there, there's probably some in this room this morning that it, it took courage to even come this morning because you have done some things that have been sins against the Lord. And as you think about Jesus, you might picture him with a stick ready to strike you instead of a kind Savior who gave his life for you. And he is so glad that you're here this morning. And you're going to find as you come back to him, he's going to pick you up. He's going to clean you up. He's going to forgive you of all your sins. So please come to him this morning. As we sing, I want to pray for us that the Lord would just fill us all with a sense of his presence and his love. Father, thank you for your gift of your son. What a son he is. Jesus, thank you that you know all of us in this room. And you love us greatly and deeply. And I pray as we sing this song that we would all experience your affection. And Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning that have sinned against you, but they do know you. I pray as they confess their sins and they ask your forgiveness, I pray you would flood them with love and affection and mercy. And Lord, we just ask this in your name. Amen.